0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Is that, that's the second time
2: it's gone off. Never go on, they never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better.
3: You
4: can understand
3: that, can't you? Yes. Right. Good luck.
2: So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: Hello there, you're very welcome to the Irish Times second captain's podcast Coming to you a little earlier in the week than usual Hi Ken, hi Mirf Hi
2: Owen, are you? Hello there Owen
1: I'm good, the reason we're recording this on a Wednesday rather than a Thursday And if you're listening to this on Thursday or indeed Friday Just disregard this information, doesn't matter as to As you. you were Yeah, as, as you, you were. were To all you Wednesday listeners out there uh, The reason we're doing it today is that we were paid a visit by one of the most admired characters And one of the most popular teams in Irish sport In the last 20 years, really. Waterford Hurling's Ken McGrath. Mm. Uh,
5: Yes, everyone, I think, has an idea in their heads of uh, that Waterford team. Uh, And there are some heads that pop immediately to mind. Uh, The bald head of John Milan, The, well, it's not entirely toothless, but there were some teeth missing from Dan Shannon. Mm -hmm. But maybe the best hurler of them all was uh, Ken McGrath, uh, who... Excelled first at centre forward. Well, first actually wing forward, then at centre forward. Uh, spent some time at midfield, but was probably the best centre back of the last twenty years. And there's some well, there's some pretty hot, uh, hot competition for that. But he's he won an all star at centre back, midfield, and centre forward. That right, k- kind of Brooks, no argument yeah. really. So he was
1: a one man spine of the yeah. team. You know they always hear this. All you need to do is play full back and full forward. Win. All-stars there And he w- and maybe goalkeeper And then he'd be a full spine Yeah uh, sort of a half a
5: spine Yes my, my father was always A great man to talk about The, the diamond Put your four best players In the diamond Centre-back Two midfield positions Centre-forward And Ken McGrath One all-stars In all four of those positions
1: Oh yeah I forgot This is a, a way for you To bring up the fact That your father's A Waterford man And therefore you can Lay claim to this county you, you're also, as well as being a Galway man at Waterford. He does this from time to time, Ken. Yeah. And the, in the quieter well, when, years for a Galway, when, around, Wa- when? Waterford become his county, you know?
5: When would you think I would pull such a stunt? When Waterford are going well, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I can take joy in, in, in the victories true. of this two counties. I mean, uh, if you're talking about this year, I went through a spell of Galway losing an Ireland quarterfinal in football, and then Galway losing a hurling semi final Waterford drawing a hurling semi final and then losing a hurling semi-final all in the space of three weeks. So, I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, supporting the Yankees and the, you know, Boston Red Sox. (laughs) It's just more ways for my teams to lose to Kilkenny. That's basically what we're talking about here.
1: The book deals with real-life stuff, too, as well as the hurling very real-life stuff, in fact, including the life-saving operation that Ken had to deal with the serious heart problem. Just a few years ago, so very much looking forward to that chat. Ross going to talk about Connacht and their heroics at the sports grounds in Galway last Saturday night against Toulouse. They should be able to back that up on Sunday against Zebrae which would set them up very nicely for the two games, home and away, or I think it's away and home in uh, in order against Wasps. After that, you know, what we haven't had in a while, Murph. That's right. You're a real so Irishman. You get the potato yeah.
5: I left in your dressing room there.
1: I got the potatoes yeah. and the puchin
5: huh? And the puchin Oh yeah, there you <laughs> are.
1: Right, yeah, in uh,
5: County Meath, a place called Navin. So, it's uh, time on now for a Pierce Brosnan Emergen shout-out, with this week's effort coming in from David in Stockholm, uh, of course the largest c- city in Sweden, and indeed in the broader Scandinavian uh, region. Population as of the last census, 925,934. Bigger it, than bigger than Copenhagen, oh, really? Right? I'm afraid so, okay. <laughs> I'm afraid so. Right. Uh, a number... That's 925,934 A number which includes This idiot Uh, We only give him our best and brightest day So David Fuhi Wants to know if we're still doing a section Asking for the highlight Of people's sporting career
1: Oh yeah that's sort of sporadically we've done that over the Over the years I guess Yeah obviously
5: we're not Doing it anymore But uh, we'll make an exception in this case David writes Saturday morning 11 aside Under 17s or under 18s I think We were clean united if you must know Some schoolboy league in Kildare All kidded out Having a few shots on goals Is a poor excuse for warming up Ref turns up and decides To get us underway
2: Sorry this is under 17s Or under 18s That's the age Okay so we're almost men
5: Almost men Ken Yes Uh, I decide to take one last shot And hoof it well over the bar Into the open field Behind the goals I'm playing up front So I'm at the halfway line Ready to tip off The ref checks the ball he's given Decides it's a little bit On the flat side The only other ball we had Was the one I hoofed over and decided that I didn't have time to get before kick off. So I let the ref know about the other ball and start running to fetch it. Not a sprint, but a light canter, as a young me did not want to seem over eager. Mm. The lads tell me to hurry it up, so I quicken the pace. I pass the goals, eyes on the ball in the open field behind them. Little did I know, there is solitary wire, the same green colour as the grass, in my line of sight, extremely taut between two pillars. Which were too far apart to notice in my eagerness to fetch the ball
2: <laughs> the, wire,
5: <laughs> the wire was positioned at a height between my upper lip and nose I ran it full pelt into it And was completely clotheslined with my feet above my head It didn't get knocked out or anything But I was dizzy, embarrassed and my vision was completely gone So I get to my feet, stumbling, head swimming and eyes refocusing and holding my face, which now had a nice clean red welt across it. A kid watching from his family's car from the car park calling to me with, Mr, are you okay? And, Dad, is he crying? Dad, he's crying! (laughs) I was holding my face, making a poor attempt to get to the ball in my embarrassment. The lads at this stage were more angry than allowed to see me make an ass of myself and wanted to get the game underway. I got the ball, stumbled back, kicked off, barely able to focus and was very soon substituted. A fun memory in the head of my sporting career. David, now 27 years old, listening to your podcast every week from Stockholm in Sweden. So we should thank David for, for sharing that. Uh, it's an extremely late entrant into this particular slot, but I mean, I'm a big fan of slapstick humour and that delivered in spades for me on a personal level.
2: That is such a weird thing to have set up behind the guy. Go- I mean, why was it, was it literally a clothesline? An actual clothesline? I, I mean, why would you have a, a head height wire between pillars
5: green. well maybe agreed <laughs> as well yeah perfectly camouflaged into the surroundings maybe there was a neighbouring garden no? no well see maybe they maybe they hung uh, it's not much of
2: a fence though just a yeah. single wire at, at like five and a half feet off the ground
5: maybe they hung a, an, a net from it but that they had taken the net in say at winter time a lot of clubs would do that <sighs> so that it wouldn't get damaged by the uh, you know, the climate, the harsher winter climate. Probably, yeah. So maybe that was it. But
1: um, I'm sure David can get back in touch with more details. The email address was. statute of limitations
5: expiring on that, or? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I think he is an excellent case, to be honest. <laughs> it's a death trap.
2: It's been 10 years.
5: Uh, if you're living abroad and you want to get in touch with us, feel free to email us at secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Thank you. Right, delighted
1: to be joined in studio by Ken McGrath, who's brought out his autobiography called Hand on Heart. Ken, thanks very much for coming in. First of all,
4: oh, well, thanks, lads.
1: It's been an eventful few years for you. Nice feeling to get it down in print. A relief, or it
0: was tough.
4: Yeah, it was mad. Look, I suppose it was nice, uh, kind of a process to get it all fully out. Uh we felt there's a good story there. We, we hopefully gave it justice in all fairness. There's a few different sides to it. Uh, the hurling, the business, I suppose, the, the, the heart surgery, everything we, 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 I think we've done a great job with it and I, I'm enjoying the book so far, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that struck us. It's, th- th- there's a lot going on here that people can relate to in real life outside of it just being, uh, Typical story of of a high achieving sports person.
4: Yeah, exactly. I think that's why. Uh, I think black and white. Uh, it's their it's, it's first sports book in Ireland. dorm hopefully trying to break into the market a small bit in sports in Ireland. And they felt there was there was a story there to be told. Uh, they approached me and. I, I kind of waited up With Dawn at home uh, And we said Look we go for it And uh, it, w- it was a good process I enjoyed it It started around last February With Michael Minahan And getting it all out Of that system And yeah. all out Onto the, onto the pages was, uh, It was tough at times But it was a
1: good crack Was that a long process Talking to Dawn about that And just making the decisions Or was it, was it
4: fairly obvious That this is something That's worth doing no, I, you, I was approached for few years ago in our third first uh, and, and I was him and hawing About it I think the Lockley Gale programme Was on I think The end of January I got a phone call Monday morning When I meet the lads For a coffee And I met them And uh, they put it to me And I said Look, leave with me For a few days And Dawn was pushed me on it I'm, I'm always the one Kind of holding back A small bit <laughs> and, and then I said Right, look If I'll do it I'll do it right And I'll uh, Michael was that was the first choice. Uh I knew Michael Michael knows my story. I know him personally as well. I I knew uh, he he betray me uh, as honest and fairly in, in the book. Uh and I think we we done that.
5: Yeah, the the first thing that, that struck me about the book is the the absence of any kind of point scoring. You know, so like if there was in in previous uh you know books by sports people, a lot of the glamorous stuff is here's the disagreement I had with you know, Ronan Kern or, you know, Tom Kenny or Owen Kelly from Tipperary or whatever, and or with former managers or anything like that. There's actually none of that in the book. You know, it's a very fair-minded book in, in that respect. Is that a result, do you think, of the perspective that you got as a result of your illness? That you could just look at all of these struggles that you had on a hurling field and just say, well, that's just part of the game.
4: Yeah, I think it was. And look, to be honest... The book is like from my life when I'm obviously born up to now, and uh, there's no point of me trying to dramatize things. Things happened; they happened. If 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 things happen in the book that are a bit maybe controversial, I wasn't going to gloss over them either. But I wasn't going to try and highlight them just to sell the book either. Uh, it, it'd be the easiest thing for me in the world to do, to go out and settle scores or whatever. That's not me. That's not my personality either. I, I think, I, I know I told the truth from the first page to the last in the book. And I think that the book flows well. Uh, and, and if if things happen in the book, they happen. And that's the way it was told, you know.
1: Can you talk us through the the illness, the heart trouble, maybe first up, Ken? Because that's... Central point to what's uh, to your life in the last few years, yeah. and, and thankfully you're doing great now. When did you did you
4: first realise you had an issue? I had An issue uh, I think it was November, uh, early December, 2013. I was bringing the lads to Dun Drum. It was Kaylin's birthday, her daughter's birthday. She wanted to go shopping in Dun Drum, and we were driving up the road, and I was telling Don I had a pain in my head, and she was saying he had a few points the night before, and I was <laughs> saying I only had three points. That shouldn't give me a pain in my head, <laughs> and uh, I kind of carried on for a day or two, now and, I, and I, I, I was in a bad way for a few days, and. Uh, I finally went to the GP and they uh, had scans at Midfield Clinic and Waterford sent to Cork and I got a phone call back from Cork saying look you're, you're bleeding the brain but thankfully it was after healing itself which can happen you know and there was no surgery required but just a bit of monitoring on it for a few weeks and different tests and different scans and I went back to work I think the end of January I was up in GSK uh, GlaxoSmithKline in Dungarvan at the time and uh a few weeks later I wasn't feeling great I knew things weren't going well uh, You know yourself when, you're, when your body's reacting To certain things You, you know yourself When you're not, when you're not well And uh, I said it to on, And she made me go to the GP And uh, he put his hands up And said look I'd be straight up There's so many things Could be wrong with you At this stage I have to send you to Arkeen. and And that was basically The start of it I got all manner of tests on, and I was being wee left, right, and centre. And and to me, I I was happy to be out there. I wanted to get to bottom if I knew I was right. And uh, it was it was a, it was a strange and hard few days because until they actually found the problem, uh, we were all left in limbo. You know.
5: Yeah, and when it was finally diagnosed, it was uh, endocarditis, which is which means basically that you're meant to have three valves processing blood through a part of your heart, and you only had two. That's basically it, isn't it? And yeah. the only solution to that then was you know, a hugely invasive open heart surgery that's uh described with uh no holes barred <laughs> yeah.
4: Endocarditis yeah. well, yeah, is an infection of the heart. Uh I had a bicuspid valve. Uh ninety-seven percent of people I think have a tricuspid valve. So my aortic valve it wasn't functioning properly. Uh the blood was coming back in, and getting congealed, and that's how the infection picked up on it. And uh, I had a, an echo and I had different tests on and, and and they came back with this around two or three days later. And to me it was a relief. Uh, I was like, right, uh, I'd be like that. This is the problem. We have to try and fix it, you know? And now I thought it wasn't going to be as big a deal as they thought. Uh, they were kind of holding back the open heart surgery to me for a few weeks probably didn't want to tell me uh, I knew I had to get I think it was seven or eight weeks of uh, antibiotics out there in Arkeen and look it was a long stay in hospital but they are holding back the heart surgery from me until they felt I was okay to be told really and look you just have to deal with it and get on with it and it was easier for me I was the one stuck in hospital as I said in the book uh, getting meals handed up to me tea and biscuits and Tom <laughs> was at home trying to run a house and uh, Look, I don't know how she'd done it, how she'd done them few months, in all fairness, but as she said, you kind of get into a mode where you just carried on and do it, and it was only afterwards it probably hit her a bit then, you know.
1: Sounds like you were quite analytical about it, though. You said you, you, you wanted to know the details, even if some were being held back from you. You wanted to know what like
4: what exactly is the problem here? What exactly do I have to do to get right? I did, uh, I'll be honest, at times I had loads of different operations and different things with the knees and, and collarbones or whatever, and broken wrists and broken hands. and I went for an operation. I said, "Look, put me to sleep. Whatever needs to be done needs to be done." But this was different. Uh, you need the information. If you woke up after open heart surgery, not not knowing what to expect, <laughs> you'd have another heart attack. I think you know. <laughs> so uh, no, look, uh, t- look. It was a, it was a tough few months, but the care I got in Waterford was unbelievable. And then up in the Beacon Hospital, then Professor Redmond done the he done the operation and it, it was, look, it's it's an unbelievably hard job. It's a hard few days, it's a hard few weeks. You're basically starting from scratch again. But the information I received beforehand from different lads who had open heart surgery and from the nurses and from the team uh, it really helped me when, when I woke up to, for the two or three days after in, in the ICU would say, look, there's no easy way if I think the chapter's called saw it open and that's the <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. what happens you, know. Yeah, and the description of the rec- recuperation is really good and just the... Uh, how
5: painstaking you have to be, and you know you as maybe one of the most uh easily recognizable athletic people that we've seen in our sport over the last fifteen years to be sent for a walk for five minutes and have to go down for you know an hour of a nap afterwards is in itself pretty pretty dramatic sounding, but a couple of weeks after the operation, then there's this match that is organized in Welsh Park. And uh, it's described amazingly. I mean, it's a benefit match. I think John Milan maybe had the original idea. He came in to visit Jane hospital yeah. in January and said, you know, we have to do something for you here. What was that night like? Obviously, there was a huge crowd in Walsh Park. So there was huge support from the Walford public. But there was yeah. also huge support from guys that you would have played with and against over the course of your hurling career as well,
4: yeah, the whole process was a bit it was a bit surreal for me. I'd be honest; like I was, I was, um, I was stuck in hospital at the time, and I was I've been self-employed for a few years before that. Uh, so the way the system works here, obviously, look, uh, social welfare was an option or whatever. And Milan and few the boys knew we were under pressure up in the house, and uh, they said, "Look, we have to try and do something for you." And I, I was saying, ah, look, "I don't know," you'd be kind of a bit embarrassed as well, and no one wants to typically Irish up. ah yeah look we're all the same <laughs> but this took off and, and the committee was set up Tommy Shanahan uh, Sean Ormond a good few of them and the work done was unbelievable and I only had to kind of sit back and get ready just for the game and that night I think there were 7 or 8 thousand people in Magic Park it was it was easy. one of the most special nights in my life in all fairness and the whole, all the family, we all enjoyed it. Uh, it was, as I said, very surreal a uh, few days and a very surreal night and I'll never forget walking across the pitch and a stand ovation from the crowd. It was, it was incredible and all the players that came down, I think there was 100 and something all-stars on the pitch wow. uh, and they all enjoyed it. Now, they got nervous when they saw the crowd uh, as <laughs> I said in the book, the... the the competitive juices, the talk with oh, the, talk the rest gigabit, of them saying, yeah. The crowd coming in here is crazy, and the the, the, the warm up was uh, was up to another level or two. And uh, it was great, and we had a brilliant night and down sign afterwards. And uh, I couldn't thank the committee or, or the lads enough what they on done. And look, that sums up the GA to me, in all fairness, you know.
1: Such a tragedy, obviously, at the weekend with Anthony Foley. Uh, Ken, I guess going through what you went through, I'd be interested in. How you reacted to when you heard that news?
4: Yeah, uh, we the county semi final on Sunday. I managed the club team at home. Uh, I, I was kind of cu- tied up with that when he found out afterwards what happened. And I got, I got, I got some fright. And all fairness, uh, you kind of realize how lucky I was myself. And your heart goes out to uh, these family and, and his friends at this time. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to even uh, get your head around yeah. uh, what happened. Or even the players that morning probably waiting to play a game and this happens and. Look, when he goes to show. Look, if if you're not feeling well, and he I, I don't know how he was feeling beforehand, but uh, don't be afraid to to go in and get stuff checked or whatever you know. And I said to you, some things, uh, freak accidents can happen or freak things can happen, and. It, it's, it's an unbelievably sad week I think in all fairness you know you mentioned you were self-employed uh, you were
1: working you set up a sports shop in yeah. Waterford that was in 2000 2007, s- yeah. 2007 yeah, yeah. and it, it was rattling along nicely for the first few years
4: yeah the first couple of years I remember saying to oh, Dawn this is this is easy <laughs> 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 why did we do this years ago uh, we got to Ireland and we were selling jerseys like they were going out of fashion And we had a great year and a half saying uh, I suppose we start feeling the pinch of it in, you know, in 2009 and uh, the year got tougher and tougher. Uh, we moved down to a bigger premises in the middle, right in the middle of the of Watford City, right in the heart of the best shopping street in Watford City uh, in George Street. Uh, we said we'd have a go. off if we're going to fail, we said we might as well fail uh, going doing it doing it the way we felt the shop was doing. I was proud of the shop for an independent store. It was as good as independent store you get in the country. And the problem was uh, Watford was, was hit hard, and I, I said it uh, loads of times before. <clears throat> Uh, there was a recession in, around the country but the recession in Waterford was unbelievably tough you know and it's an industrial town a lot of industry kind of went and when the glass went in 09 as well and uh supposed income dried up and and retail fell off a cliff in Waterford city and we were left there we were only a few years in business we had in the up of other lads that who had years and or or multiples there so we were uh, we were under pressure from the start and uh it was a tough few years. We tried our very, very best. I think four years we lasted, but in 2011, we decided, look, we had to get out. Uh, there was no sign of it changing. If if I knew things were going to improve, we, we could have fighting on and maybe trying just to, just to squeeze out the last few months and trying. But that was 2011. I think it's only now Waterford City starting to come back a bit, you know, and we, we just didn't have the back up or we hadn't the financial means to keep going. Yeah, and having
5: spent a little bit of time in Waterford City as a kid, I'd like... It's 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 called Watford City, but it is very much a town. You know, it's not a it's not a particularly big place. And your description of Watford, first of all, in the nineteen eighties when you were growing up, but then throughout the recession, it's really well done in the book. And it's it it kind of seems that 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 Watford, as you say, was hit even worse than 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 other uh, sort of urban areas. And there's a great line in the book actually where you said you believe that the recession started in Walford the day after you lost the 2008 two thousand eight <laughs> yeah. Ireland final because everyone else, it, you know, it, life was put on hold for that entire summer mm. and that included everyone kind of facing up to the problems that were sort of happening all around the country and then the following morning, you know, obviously your business started getting hurt because you couldn't sell the jerseys fast mm. enough in the run-up to that game and then all of a sudden sort of reality hit home.
4: Yeah look You, you couldn't have uh, Covered it better there Look uh, To be honest The next day After all Was as we said the summer was probably put on hold we, we things were still going well there was a lot of talk about the recession and this and that but there were some people saying we we're talking ourselves into recession some people were saying it's not going to be as bad and uh, and then that, the week after Ireland was shocking but look it was bound to be the, the whole city and the whole county were on such a downer after that uh, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do was buying uh, sports stuff you know. Uh, but look, look it was a very very tough few years as I, as I keep on saying
1: Did your self esteem take a hit at all? Just that it was your name above the door You know, you're a superstar in Waterford you had been doing so well, and really through forces outside your control, it stopped going well. But was a part of you thinking, "What? Why isn't this working now?"
4: Oh yeah, yeah. You'd be you'd be bitter at times. You'd be sad. Uh, your self confidence would would be low. Uh, I, I know, as I said, as an independent store, we couldn't do much more. Uh, We'd all the top brands in the store, and, and uh, anyone who's involved in the sports retail business would tell you that's a hard thing to get. And we got them. Uh, we we always the place decked out to the best of our ability. Uh, you have you, you, your confidence in the gutter after that, and you put up the closing down signs on the window, mm-hmm. and you're I didn't walk past down that, that street for for a few months afterwards, you know. And your head to be down, and it would be in all fairness. And you you, that,
1: you actually avoided the shop. You avoided. I the did. I, by I there, did yeah. when,
4: when we closed up uh, in September or was it October and eleven. I I stayed away for a few months, and I uh, your, your your head to be your head to be be done in, and your confidence is low. And look, you look, it's like losing a big game at times. Losing that in final away, you wouldn't look, be looking people in the eye too mm. too much for <sighs> a few weeks, you know.
5: Yeah, there's there's a great line in the book as well about. Uh, you sitting sitting at home watching the Champions League, having bought a load of Ronaldo's boots. Going, this fecker better score tonight. Now <laughs> I've
4: got I've got a stock room full of these. Well, that, that's the problem. Though. Like uh, at the time. Uh, boots were changing so much. Like Messi might get a different pair of boots every three months, and you might buy uh, Messi's boot in and he's having a bad runner or get injured, and <laughs> yeah. the keep on Ronaldo's boots. You're saying, I didn't get enough of them either. So, look, that was it. And look, that's what we opened the shop for in the first place, for that crack as well. And uh, I said, at times it didn't feel like a job. A family came in and we were busy. Our busy days were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But anyone tell you in retail, when it's quiet and it's known and footfall is, is low, you're staring out that window and you're just getting stressed and stressed every day. And I'm ringing Dawn saying, make sure this don't bounce, make sure that goes through. And that just took a toll on us as well, you know.
1: It's a tough few years professionally and then also with the heart problem. How how have you gotten on since then? Health-wise, professionally, how are you doing?
4: Yeah, no, brilliant. Uh, I started uh, in the summer after the heart operation, uh, my own, owner of his own company, me being coffee, uh, coffee holds, uh, uh, and Bean Coffee, coffee wholesalers. And he was he was getting busier and busier. He wanted me to get involved uh, I had to take a three or it was a five or six months maybe after the operation for you fully recovered for you can get back into working again, and uh, that was lined up for me uh, from the September on. And i me into into that now and it's flying. We I love it. Uh, the tree was on the road delivering coffee, coffee machines, adding coffee you need. Uh, we deliver in the southeast and, and it's brilliant and I love it. Uh, and I be honest, is that to give me a new new lease of life and a, and a new kind of a new kick to kind of say look you have a bad look but it could be a lot worse lads in all fairness there's other families out there who had it a lot worse than me and we, we know we know that as well and uh, look I, I'm not one for feeling sorry for myself Dawn isn't either I said some of the the, the look we're after having as well over the years and we're still here and we're still going strong yeah. we've barely touched on hurling <laughs> which is what you're, mo- <laughs> you're most known for I, yeah. we did warn people at the start of the at uh, the start of
1: the chat that there's a lot more to it but when Joan Cruyff died earlier in the year there was a lot of the '74 World Cup was brought up, you know, and the idea that Holland were the real winners and Netherlands were the real winners at World Cup because they're the team that people love. They're the team that were remembered. Is that the way you view your time with Waterford?
4: Yeah, I think I've seen something, but that uh, someone said Johan Cruyff and the Holland team were like our team back in back in the I We were the first ones to come up with <laughs> the comparison. <laughs> no, it could have been so It <laughs> might, might have been might <laughs> definitely. Be. Was. Yeah, let's go with yeah. That, yeah, yeah it was. We see anyway. Uh, yeah. And I was laughing for the you Showed me on a WhatsApp or a text or whatever. And uh, look, the team I played with. Uh, we're great lads Uh, we we tried to play the right way Uh, we played in some of the biggest games some of the best games I feel over the last 20-30 years that team were involved in Uh, unfortunately look as I keep on saying 08 didn't go well for us in the final and to be remembered I'd rather remember by the hurling we played up to that rather than that final. That final was a disaster for every one of us. But if you look back at the 02, 04, different semi finals we played in, were, were top notch. And we played an open, op, open style of hurling, off the cuff hurling, a flamboyant style of hurling. And I think it suited at the time Waterford and suited uh, the players that we had. You know. Yeah, and I
5: think as well that there's a more impor- important point to make as well is that there were characters in the team and. You know, everyone always says this, you know, like no matter what era you're in, the era before had, you know, the great characters or whatever. But when you look at a team that had yourself, Milan and Dan Shanahan and Paul Flynn, even those like those four guys are just four of the most beloved, you know, extravagant, flamboyant characters Mm. in, in Hurling that we've seen over the last 20 years. And that does have to count for something, even if it's, you know, even if you have to weigh it up against the fact that you didn't win the big one in the end. That has to count for something as well, I'm sure. As you look, as you look back at your career,
4: oh, it does exactly. Look, uh, I was proud of that team. I was proud of the way we tried to play. Uh, I, the young lads now coming through for us. Um, they've won minor all irons, or into minor all irons, and they went to a, a top class senior setup. We we had to kind of start from scratch, yeah, basically, you know, yeah. build it. I came in '95 in the league, '96 championship three years before that Kerry were after beating us in the Championship you know? so we were coming from a low web and I think that team really gelled together uh, with some brilliant times brilliant crack uh, I said in the book we, we we all we played like a club team uh, unfortunately as I keep on saying every year the All-Ireland that weekend you're at home and you're saying why am I feeling in a bad mood for it? why am I sick for it? it's, look what can we do that team will be remembered probably more than some teams have won the All-Ireland and you have look I'm finished six, seven years now. You have to take some sort of solace from that, you know?
1: I think you also have to give the young the the, the young, the young players sound like an old man here. But the current players a bit of a chance as well, you know, when we're talking about characters or flamboyance or what. Like yeah. Austin Gleason, your club man. Yeah. Geez, that's a guy I love watching play as much as I watch you, you boys play. And some people make comparisons with, with yourself. So there are guys like that who, who've taken up the mantle.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the only one team, especially this year, uh, you see the performance against Galway, putting in his favourites. But having to perform like that, that that's unheard of for Walford teams. That kind of pressure and to perform the way they did. Uh, you have like said the Bennett's, Patrick Horn, these fellas Austin, top, top class players. And they're going to have huge, huge careers if they keep grounded and level-headed. And I'm sure they will. They they want more. They want more, in all fairness. And I think Walford are in a good place. And uh, I can't wait for the next couple of years.
5: Yeah. Is it almost
4: weird to be watching Austin Gleason? I mean, because everyone makes
5: the comparison between himself and yourself because there is, you know where best to play him is the is nearly the argument. Yeah. Um and he's like he's your own club man. He's playing at centre back, but also has time up in the forwards I mean the similarities are nearly endless.
4: They are, they are. I suppose Lowkey he do <laughs> he's better sideline cut. But no, he's. I, I, I said before, I do sideline cuts and I hit myself in the ankles. I couldn't do that. Uh, he he run with the ball more than me. Uh, the, the the man is everything in all fairness, and he he's a great uh, he's a great ambassador for the club. He, he, if he keeps driving on, he, he put he puts bombs on seats in all fairness, and that's what I think you need in hurling as well. Everyone can't be the same. Everyone can't do the same thing, and I think that's what our Water team done. Uh, we, we might play a different way or we might do something crazy at times, but you're excited watching us. And when you're watching the likes of Austin, you're excited watching them. And I think that's what hurling has to be about.
1: Yeah, so the, do, do you subscribe to the view that they have to be allowed to express themselves more than is sometimes the case? You know, David Fitzgerald, obviously, you've talked in, in the book a little bit about uh, the sterile, structured nature of his hurling, which achieved a, gre- a degree of success. Derek McGrath, even this season, really, up until the semifinals... It, 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 it was something similar I don't know if sterile is the right word but certainly structured do you think that, th- that there was pointers in how they went about their business against Kilkenny that maybe sh- gives you confidence for the next couple of years yeah
4: no definitely I think so uh, if we had a out against Kilkenny and playing the way we were probably in Munster or whatever a uh, lot more structure a lot more defensive uh, and losing my point or two we wouldn't probably have the same sense we can't wait for next year now you know And I think them two games with Kilkenny were as good game as games I've seen and the challenge above that was very poor uh, but there was an intensity and there was a, a speed of hurling in them two games that showed what we're capable of doing and I think we played our best hurling in them two games and I think the twenty one maybe had something to do with that as well we, we, we blitzed tipped down in Welsh Park playing super hurling uh, won a, all Ireland fairly comfortably against Goblin playing super hurling and it shows I think that's the waterway and I think for us to finally achieve our goal we have to play that way and look that's my opinion it might be Derek's opinion I know at times it's not uh, but that's my opinion and I stand over it okay well the book is called Ken McGrath
1: Hand on Heart remember um, I have to say Ken's been absolutely brilliant I think we have to bestow him with the ultimate second yeah. captain's honour can you it. please no hand Ireland, over a uh, John Milan oh, second Jesus. captain's <laughs> <laughs> skills are hurling what am I going, going there to do with go. that anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. I live on the same street as John actually yeah. our <laughs> <laughs> daughters our best friends uh, what am I going to do with that <laughs> 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 you can do the dishes for a start well we framed <laughs> it so, uh, we, <laughs> we you know. framed it yeah. so you can frame it brilliant Ken great to talk to you
3: lost it. The First Minister's name. Kieran Murphy, our second captain, and John Henderson, former to Kenny and Wickler Hurdle. Thank you both indeed for that. Uh, that's our lot for today.
1: Just one headline. The British Prime Minister Theresa May is to meet the teacher again Kenny in London tomorrow. This morning she's at Stormont meeting Martin McGuinness and uh, also Theresa... Sorry, I've lost it. The First Minister's name. Arlene
3: Foster. Foster. Thank you for that.
1: There you go, Ken McGraw, an absolute superstar of a hurler and not a bad interview at all. I'm sure you'll agree. Great chat, uh, great chat with Ken there. We don't go flinging that tea at everyone, Murph. Just no. people who impress us, you know. Just
5: well, and former teammates of John Milan. Have, have have we given away any of, I'm trying to rem- No, I don't know if we've given away the no, tea anyway. This is uh, very much in demand and uh, he only lives down the road from Ken. <laughs> Five doors down apparently. So, uh, now I'm kind of thinking God I hope I sent one to John Milan I mean if if John Milan himself doesn't have a John Milan tail then that's mm-hmm. probably not
1: going to look great amazing how that all ireland loss in 2008 hangs over everything in the career of those Waterford players yeah I, I don't think we ever even asked him directly about it but it, it came up a couple of times as he's trying to kind of contextualize the legacy of the team that he was involved in this one particular obviously the biggest disappointment in their
5: careers yeah and when you are water my life when you uh, when you lose uh, as many All Ireland semi finals as they did, I suppose the the final just gets bigger and bigger in your in your consciousness. But uh, he wrote he writes in the book anyway. That game finished me really. It made me question myself and everything I was doing on the field in a way that had never happened before. Uh, players that I'd have been confident of marking became an issue for me. Freeze, fielding the ball, passing the things I'd been doing for twenty years without a thought suddenly became a struggle for me after that All Ireland final. That only stopped really in twenty ten. So knocked say- them
1: back for the entirety of the next season
5: well there were injury worries and all the rest for the for the year after that but even at that I mean that's that's a pretty amazing thing I mean elsewhere he says we probably should have had some means of working through what had happened we probably should have got cancelling after the 2008 final right um,
1: that's a that's a pretty devastating loss then
5: yeah in, in the sporting context yeah. I mean, well you know anyone who was there I mean it's hard even to uh, to try and think back to just how completely they were dominated in that game, but I mean, it was—I mean, it, Kilkenny are the greatest team we've ever seen, and that was them at their peak. But also, even even when you talk about a team at their peak, you talk about say a year where they were brilliant. This was like a seventy-minute period where they were just like their entire team got out of the match. They couldn't pick him out of the match Did on the that, Sunday game. Really? Yeah. It was actually, I think maybe Brian Cody went up and accepted the Man of the Match award uh, because they couldn't pick one individual <laughs> out of a um, team of, you know, who were however many, 17 or 18 of them that saw action.
1: They were all that good. Waterford weren't lucky enough to be the opponents that day, but lots of great memories of the happier days in Kevin McGrath's career in that book. We've got Kieran Donaghy, I think, next Monday, Murphy. We bu- do indeed. Book Donaghy in. I've just started reading his book, which is, which looks great so far, only a chapter in. So, I don't know, you you can't judge a book by a cover. Can you judge it by the first chapter? If so, it's a really good book, I've already decided. Oh, yeah.
5: I mean, everyone's made a judgment inside the first four pages, I'd say. (laughs) If I was writing a book, I'd put all of my best stuff. My top, top sentences would all have to be in that... That opening four page solo. Even if they yeah, don't
1: I mean. Tie in together Just the no, best no, no, Individual like, sentences exactly, you have yeah, 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 yeah I get you yeah. We're a day away From we Thursdays We can
5: reintroduce them You know In their correct place Throughout the book <laughs> But the first
1: four pages Have to have all of those We are a day away From Thursdays Irish Times Second Captain's football podcast As we record Ken But you should have an idea What's going to be in there
3: That's Yeah <laughs> They have asked for that Really
2: Well oh, you can laugh up.
3: I'm a little bit of an idealist but
1: having said that, I want to be like me. You
6: well, don't know what you're talking about. What well, yeah. did you know I
3: like nice to, to stay alive for six right days. Go I'd say it to your face, not
6: saying it oh. to you
2: now.
3: I down dance and we'll see them What you doing down here, you're showing <laughs> me, man.
2: It'll be all Liverpool Manchester United all the time. And no, it won't. Don't <laughs> <but it really laughs> uh, Probably the Champions League uh, might be more interesting at that stage. Man City away to Barcelona tonight. Should be an interesting game. So, that uh, and other things.
5: Has there ever been a game that has disappointed on so many levels? No, I
1: don't want to talk about that. I actually don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it? I want to talk to Ken about... Sorry, Murph, to butt in and take editorial here. Was, I wanted to talk about the assistant manager, or whatever his exact title is, of Manchester City, arriving in Barcelona today. Mm. Why can't we talk about that?
2: What do you What? Uh, to talk He's the most stylish
1: sixty-seven-year-old man in Europe, <laughs> certainly in the UK. Brian Kidd. Yeah, he. He's in Pep's clothes. He literally
2: was in identical clothes to Pep. I mean, it's. So we
1: have got kind of skinny jeans. Well, I'd I'd say they were more kind of chinos, Most yeah.
2: sort of chin, chino type uh, things. Bright white runners. Uh, tight, uh, tight grey, uh, close fit jumper
1: over white, a, white shirt. Yeah, over a white shirt. Um, Pep look.
2: And he was standing right beside Pep Guardiola, who was wearing exactly the same thing, only with a jacket. I mean, what kind of jacket is that? A, a baseball jacket? I don't know what you call it, what you can call it. A Bomber jacket.
1: Bomber jacket. Bomber jacket. Bomber jacket. Bomber yeah, jacket. for one
2: to the Very time.
5: much back in back in style at the moment. Ken. I'm sure you've noticed it on the the high street.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was quite funny.
5: I wasn't the photograph kind of cropped so that you would not see all of the other man, like the rest of the Man City party, also wearing all this stuff. Basically, they've just cropped it so that it's. Kiddo.
1: It makes Kiddo, kiddo
5: look like kiddo is. an
1: idiot. Oh, it, like, I don't think it makes him look like an idiot. I think it makes him look like he's in pretty good shape for a 67 Well, I will man. say that. He, yeah.
2: he carried the look off certainly better than I would have myself, I think.
5: Those jumpers, you know, they're very clingy material. I mean, they don't... They, they, they're They don't they're suffer fools and beer bellies mm-hmm. gladly, Ken. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but no, he, he, uh, I thought he... I thought he looked pretty good. It was just that he looked as though he was copying exactly the <laughs> yeah. outfit his manager was wearing, which did look a bit silly. I mean, the, these... The, I'm pretty sure that during the game that you don't want us to talk about, Owen, I saw on the Liverpool bench the nutritionist who arrived from Bayern Munich during the summer who had attracted some comment uh, for looking exactly like Jurgen Klopp, wearing Klopp glasses and, and, and sitting just behind him uh, such that every time Klopp appeared, you could see this guy who appeared to be a, an imitator mm. sitting just behind him. And I think I saw him not wearing his glasses. I don't know if Klopp had a word. I don't know if he decided himself. He saw himself on social media a lot and he decided, maybe I need to maybe try the contacts for this game but for one reason or another single uh, white nutritionist
3: <laughs>
2: for some reason the resemblance wasn't, a, wasn't as striking as it had been
3: I've
5: got a call here that says you're the most boring predictable condescending interviewer around go back to lecturing you have the charisma of a sick bag oh God. that's just it I just mentioned not you no me we don't normally my broadcast click, all the, the stuff that click. comes from Around the
1: country. Today's scumbag is named. Where is my email gone here? Sarah, who's emailed in to secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Hey guys, it's my friend's 21st birthday at the end of this month. Her name is Sinead Scully and she loves second captains. Honestly, I don't know how often the show is aired. I've yet to get my head around the whole offside thing, so I wouldn't be your target audience. But it'd be really sound if you give her a birthday shout out on one of your radio shows or something. she definitely loved that and I'm too poor to buy her a present. Hopefully many, many thanks, Sarah. P.S. If you do happen to oblige, please mention that Saz wrote in. So clearly Saz isn't a massive second captains fan, has no, no. idea who we are really. Stumbled I mean, across we've the called her a scumbag. I think,
5: we're, I think we're definitely going to get away with that <laughs> by the sounds of things.
1: Sinead is a fan. So we asked Saz for a little bit more info on her friend, what kind of sport she's into, that sort of thing. Saz replies, she's really into soccer. She's a big Shells fan. I know she's a bit of a thing for some guy called Richie Sadler. Who <laughs> is sometimes on your show or was on it before, question mark. She met him at a Stone Roses gig this year and was too shocked. I was too shocked to take a picture. <laughs> You could give her a plug also. She does a show on the UCD station, Balefield FM, at four o'clock on Mondays. It's called Twisting My Melon, which I quite like as a oh, title Twisting for a show. My melon, Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Sarah, you are a very polite emailer, and we're happy to give a shout out to your friend, whose full name I will repeat now, Sinead, Sinead
5: Scully. Yeah, and listen in to Twisting, Twisting, my, Twisting, Twisting my, my Melon, my melon mm. on uh, UCD radio at uh, 4 ha- p.m. on Mondays. Very happy Mondays. Yeah, I, knows, I hope it's, it's like just Monday. Manchester music. Just loads
2: of James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy Happy birthday, Sinead. Simon, you
1: were impressed by Connacht at the weekend? Uh,
0: yeah, I just thought they, they, they kept doing what they've been doing the whole time, but except against the richest team in Europe. The richest team in the world, actually, because the richest team in France is automatically the richest team in the world. They've chosen to lose to spend all their money on gigantic props and back rowers. Uh, while Connacht have decided to get really smart and skillful and if you told people five years ago that Connacht would completely outskill Toulouse for uh, an entire game you'd be laughed at and that's what happened When you say more rich I'd, I'd assume that wasn't the case anymore that
1: they'd been overtaken by no, the likes of Toulon and
0: still the richest, Still the richest club in France, yeah so it's, uh, a,
1: so it's a very definitive decision that they've taken that they, they'll abandon, that they'll throw that money into, as you say, an attritional style of rugby rather than being in some way. They're just
0: not spending it as well as Toulon, who pride themselves, a la Real Madrid, on getting the players they target. They, Toulon see themselves as being more skillful in the market than Toulouse, which they obviously are. Yeah, seem to be. All right, I saw but uh, uh, they kind of just made Toulouse look like something out of date, which, I mean, French rugby's had... You know, 10 years of warnings about this not least the quarter final of the last World Cup against New Zealand when they shipped 60 odd points Um but they're doing the same thing at club level and international level and uh, not heeding any of the warnings Apar- or absorbing uh, yeah. any lessons apparently at
1: half time when they were calling to where was it 11 points down or whatever it ten was 10 down yeah 10 down at half time Matt Healy who's injured at the moment this is the other issue they've got a lot of injuries and yet it doesn't seem to be bothering them in the last few weeks Prop,
5: Hooker and Matt Healy yeah uh,
1: so he was asked sure. by the PA by the the guy doing the MCing, what do you think about the second half? He's like, Oh, it's fine, those big guys aren't going to last another 40. And yeah. he was right, the prop there, Toulouse props are off two minutes after half time, all the rest. So he knew the Connacht would be able to run the legs off them, which is exactly what they did. <laughs> that's it,
0: like their, comp- their confidence is surviving, you know, things like a, a flurry of points from Toulouse around half time, which for a team who'd been destroyed in the first couple of games of the season, that's Connacht, you would think that would damage them and it didn't. John Fallon is based in Galway, John. You've been covering this team
1: a long long time and been associated with the province a long time, so the, and particularly in the last year, there have been so many great nights. I guess it was one of those. it was a superb occasion on Saturday night at the sports grand
3: it, it certainly was, but as you said, there's just been so many in in um, you know particularly the last year the last couple of years um it, it's it's really hard to put them in a pecking order in that regard. Um, I think actually this is the, my thirty-third year actually covering Connacht, so um, that that probably gives a lot away in itself. But you know, put it this way: three years ago, when Connacht won in Toulouse, um, you know, and it was one of the biggest shocks in in European history. In fairness, when they went to Toulouse and beat them out there, um, you know, it looked like it was a one-off result. I think the progress that Connacht have made uh, in in the, the pre, in the intervening three years is that it wasn't actually that big of a shock that they won last Saturday evening and I don't think the, you know, Pat Lamb and John Muldoon were in any way being disrespectful afterwards when they lamented that they didn't get a bonus point out of it that they didn't cross and get that fourth try and I think in a way of quantifying just the progress that comics have made um, particularly over the last 12 months and particularly when they won the Pro 12 is, is probably emphasised just by the reactions whereas you know, three years ago winning in in, uh, Stad Ernest, well, you know, they went mad. Out did the supporters, out did everyone. Um, And uh, while it was brilliant last Saturday evening, um, I think in the cold light of day, people would say this was thoroughly deserved and... Uh, maybe should have been achieved uh, with a little bit more to spare, which is, it's, it's some statement re- regarding Connacht and where they've gone under Pat Lamb.
1: It is some statement, all right, John. I'm quite struck by that. And it, in any way, is that just the kind of thing that a, a coach and a manager should say after the game to keep people's feet on the ground? Lamb doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who, uh, who wastes his words necessarily. So if that was his reaction, that was his reaction.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well... You know, we need to take it in the context of what's happened this season as well, you know, because it's such a dreadful start. The preseason was poor. Uh they lost their, their, their first three matches or their first three and a half matches. That that match in Zebra wasn't going too well when it was called off last month either. So to turn it around that quickly, bonus point win over Edinburgh, bonus point win over Ulster, uh, really came into this one just just at the right time. You know, the the, the dirty petrol had been got rid of. They were they, they 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 were playing like they did last year and I think, you know, probably what does put what elevates that win last Saturday is that they were playing without a lot of frontline players who were injured. And I'm thinking in particular of Hooker Tom McCartney and um loose head Dennis Buckley and the scrum was in trouble the last day and you know, Toulouse exploited it to the degree that they got three or four penalties off it, but that said, didn't, didn't you know, get, get a, a try-scoring opportunity despite having that dominance. And, you know, the, the, the Connacht scrum improved as well in the second half. So, look, the, the players that have left, you know, Pat Lamb and Connick can do absolutely nothing about. But to, to have to go out um, with front-line players like that injured and, and lose one or two more during it and still um, beat a Toulouse side that... Um, you know, have so many resources. Let's face it; they don't use it terribly. Well. They don't use them terribly well, uh, least of all away from home. And the more that game went on, to be honest, the more Toulouse looked disinterested. Uh, to be honest, and I think Pat Lam and John Muldoon and those will be hammering that into Connacht as well. That you know, when they go back to face Toulouse in January, it will be an entirely different proposition. Um, but they've got they've got four points in the bag. It's 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 you know it's as near to the perfect start as they could hope for. Yeah,
0: John, because of the way Connacht play, scoring tries from their own 22 and generally finishing what chances they do get, uh, they, not everything has to be perfect. Their scrum isn't perfect. Certain They make a lot of handling errors, partially because they try so many things. But when you score tries in modern rugby, it's weighted. the game is weighted so heavily in favour of teams like New Zealand or Connacht, who can score tries from anywhere. It makes some other parts of the game redundant.
3: Well, uh, to many degrees, what Connacht do is very, very simple. They, they just do it very, very well, uh, and that builds confidence uh, with that as well. And just, you know, talking to the players as last year progressed as well. They were doing stuff on autopilot. You know, they weren't, they were popping passes knowing the other player was there. When I say the other player, it, 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 it was the person wearing the number on the jersey rather than a particular player, because they just basically, everyone slotted into this system. And, I think, in fairness, that you know, having had only one pre season match, and, and even that one, I was at it out in, in, in France against Montpellier, and I, I nearly got five minutes of a run myself, and it, there were so many players used in it, I, I don't think it was in any way worthwhile. Uh, it took them a while, I think, to just get that system up and running this year as well. And um, I think that probably pinpointed a lot, which was wrong, let would say, in those first few weeks in September. And it clicked into place. It was clicking into place at stages during games, but not throughout it. And this sort of trust that they have, you know, to run from their own twenty two, uh, you rarely see boot to ball with Connacht anymore. It, it uh, the first instinct is to hold possession. Um and, and Pat is a very good good phrase that he uses a lot and he hammers at home to 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 players is that they need to attack spaces, not faces. And you know, given that you know Toulouse were so much bigger than them the last day, that was absolutely vital. If if Connacht got into an arm wrestle in open play with them, they would have been beaten and beaten well. So basically, by the time Connacht got the Connick player got hit, they'd already offloaded the ball and the ball was still in play. That's what allowed um, so much to to happen from deep. And you look at like somebody like Craig Ronaldson, who's been out injured um, for over half a year and was drafted back a little bit earlier the previous week, he was talking coming in through club and through Comet eagles and that, but basically because of his injuries, he had no choice to come in. And he was heavily involved in, in at least two, and I'm trying to think back to the third try, but he was the instigator of two of those tries going from deep. And here's, you know, a guy who, uh, who's who been there for a couple of years, but hasn't been part of that sort of flow that came to win the Pro 12. And um, it just shows, I know... Hattland says it was every day in press conference about systems and processes and all that, but that's what's hammered home to them. And I think we saw it again in the closing stages, the last day. You know, two-point lead, you're deep inside your own half. You know, a penalty is going to hand the win to to the opposition. And the most natural thing would have been just get the ball, boot it out of there, get it out of your own half, and at least you know put the put the penalty if it happens beyond the 50 metre range. But um, they went through they went through I think it was nine or ten phases. Um, to just wear down the clock and, and kick the ball out and you sort of say well they have their mojo back that's what brought yes. them success last year and um, in many ways uh, whatever about the Ulster and Edinburgh games I think last Saturday we showed or kind of showed they were up and running again they really were and I, I'd say there's a big spring in their step this week yeah. they at Italy
0: yeah, ultimately, you need confidence to play the way they're playing. Is that down to more than Pat Lam? What's the basis of that? Because we we all still have in the back of our heads, this is Connacht. You know, three, four seasons ago, they were bottom of the table.
3: Yeah, it it is it is all down to a system, and it's all it's all down to, in many ways, not you know, it's not hugely elaborate. It's it's if you take it into any other walk of life, it's a case of. Learning a small a set of skills, developing them, and perfecting them, and just trusting that that system in as, as they go on it. And you know they have worked the two four two system. The loss of Ali Muldowney, you know, given that that lock forward position in the middle of the park, in the middle of say in that in that pod of four with the front row is a key one. Andrew Brown has taken that up a lot this year. So they basically that's the way they line out. It's not going to be absolutely perfect every day in terms of of defending or indeed in attacking in you know, it, but they think that's the one that's going to get them across the line, and that's what that's what won them, the Pro 12. Um, and they've perfected that over and over again. And ag- again, from speaking to players, they say, you know, sometimes they, they find it difficult to notice the difference between a training match, or between training and a match itself, because they go with that intensity, and particularly the Tuesday sessions are, are huge for Connacht. And... Um, and they work that and they work that and it's an unforgiving place as well because it's all reviewed straight afterwards and um, you know you basically it's it's not unlike what we hear from international camp with Joe Schmidt I mean you really got to do it you got to deliver and you got to deliver in training on a Tuesday morning um, when the weather might not be too good in the sports ground or else um, but you got to deliver as much there as on a Friday evening or Saturday afternoon from a match and that's that's the system Pat Lamb and, and his coaches around them have developed and it's working for them. And I suppose immediately you think, well, I don't more do it. And You know, maybe I don't think. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's what plenty of people are, are asking at the moment, I think. And hopefully no slip-ups this weekend in Italy. Listen, John, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Brilliant, thank you. Zebra Connacht is a Sunday afternoon game, I'm right in saying.
3: Uh,
5: it is indeed. I might as well give you the four give us promises. The, give us the promises. Glasgow. Too. 1pm uh, on Saturday That's on Sky Sports Ulster Exeter at 7.45 on Saturday On BT Montpellier Against Leinster It's 1pm Sunday On Sky Sports And then Zebra Connacht Is 3.15pm On Sunday And that's on BT So Leinster Munster on Sky and Ulster connect on BT this weekend. Okay, so uh,
1: the Munster-Glasgow game goes ahead and Razzie Erasmus was talking about this today. He gave a, a, a long and very nice statement about Anthony Foley and as part of that statement, he explained the thinking behind the game going ahead. W- one's... One's life is greater than any sport or sporting occasion. However, Tolman Park held a special place in Axel's heart and as difficult as it would be to play the next game, no matter the time, opposition and venue, we have an opportunity to play there this Saturday. That is something that is hugely important to all of us and cannot be easily dismissed. Playing in Tolman Park further ties us to his memory and will be a chance for all, including our supporters and the community, to feel that connection and closeness to him at this time. So, clearly an emotional day there, Simon, at the the press conference
6: in... Munster today.
0: Yeah, Peter O'Mandy and uh, was talking to and it was about as raw as it could be a press conference and for him personally he spoke really well.
6: My first game that he coached me um, with Munster uh, his his first coaching game was, uh, was the Munster in the 20s game in Tone Park and uh, we won a 3-0 ironically enough um, and, and that suited axe <coughs> that suited axe as good as if we had beaten him by 60 or 70 points you know he was he was uh, a man who wanted a, any monster jersey to, to win at, at any cost and I'm not going to do him justice here um, all the words I could say to be honest uh, he, he's he's uh, he's personally he's meant a huge amount obviously he's he's he's, he's been there I haven't been involved I've Obviously, having supported the Munster team, that he wasn't in, he's been there since since the start. Um, and you, you could never learn the, the amount that we've we've now lost. That 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 he, that he he's he's gone is 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 incredible. The rugby knowledge and, and the brain and and the man and the friend and the coach and the brother that we've lost. It's,
1: yeah, clearly uh, uh, very emotional. Peter Mannie doing his best there and doing well to t- to try to articulate uh, what Anthony Foley means to Munster. It's crazy, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough, a
0: tough and very poignant day uh, this weekend. Yeah, it would have been as tough in two weeks' time, three weeks' time. Yeah. so. Oh, no, I think it's.
1: I think it's probably right to go ahead. Yeah, you know, clearly, uh, you know, I'm sure the family must be on board and all the rest of it. So the the, the game goes ahead, and it is a yeah. You know, without being too corny, but it, it is a chance, I guess, for fans to show their appreciation. It's just yeah. going to be very surreal, even if it's only a, a week on. It'll take a lot longer than that for everybody in Munster to begin to wrap their heads around this. If you missed our tribute to Anthony Foley, you can scroll back one show there to Monday. Alan Gaffney, Jerry Thornley, Liam Toland, and Ignacio Fernandez Lobe, the former Argentina. Uh, international and sale player amongst others all shared their memories some really good articles have been written this week as well I I particularly was impressed by Malachi Clerkin's Irish Times piece yesterday in which he tackles the as he says the well-worn banality that says a death like this puts sport in perspective if you have a look at our Twitter feed there we've tweeted a link to that article from Malachi. in the meantime enjoy the Champions League tonight we will be in with a football podcast tomorrow to cover all of that thanks very much Murph
5: Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Simon. Thank you, Simon. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, thanks for, thanks for
1: listening. Cheers. What it. is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They Never go home. They never
2: go home. They never go home. Those, those, those
1: boys.